Hello, and welcome to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalists. We are a vibrant liberal religious community that treasures diversity, practices justice, and teaches love and respect for everyone. We grow spiritually through worship, shared learning and service and relationships that go deep. As we say each Sunday, whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever your image of the holy, your presence here is a gift. All are worthy, all are welcome. Good morning, everyone. I'm Susan Marcinkus and I'm your worship associate today. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalist online worship service. Our greeters today are Fred and Linda Bergman. Our other worship leaders today are our minister, Reverend Laura Horton Ludwig, director of religious education, Austin Peterson, and our assistant director of music, Dave Robbins. If you'd like to follow along with the order of service, I invite you to visit wuu.org to download a copy. If you're visiting today, we're glad you're here and welcome. We invite you to say hi by typing a quick note into the Zoom chat. And if you'd like to sign up for our email list, please fill out the online visitor form at wuu.org. Now I invite you to sing along with our opening hymn, Here We Have Gathered. The words are by Alicia Carpenter. The music is an old hymn tune from 16th century Geneva. Here we have gathered, gathered side by side, circle of kinship, come and step inside. May all who seek here find a kindly word. But in the shadow 
not forget we who now gather know each other's pain kindness can heal us as we give we gain sing now in friendship this our hearts own song. Again, welcome. We are happy that you have joined us via live stream audio or video or Zoom. Whether you have come seeking comfort, encouragement, or inspiration, you belong here. You are seen here, even if we cannot see you physically. Now I invite you to join in saying our welcoming words. And please, as you say these words, speak them to each other and know that we are connected across the distance. The words are pasted into the Zoom chat. Let's say them in something like unison. Folks on Zoom, we will unmute you so that you can hear each other. Whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever your image of the Holy, your Well, welcome back. Welcome back to this month when we lift up what it means to be a people of commitment. Our theme, commitment. What does it mean to be a people who have learned that when we commit ourselves to each other and to our highest values, well, then we will help each other find our way home. So welcome, welcome, welcome indeed to this time and space set aside to illumine our minds, refresh our hearts, and listen to our spirits here in the company of each other and of the holy. Welcome, maybe for the first time, blessings if that is you, or welcome back perhaps for the thousandth time. Welcome into this space of community where we have freely chosen to be here to learn and laugh and remember that we need each other to be whole. Come, let us worship together. Now, please join me in saying the words to light our chalice. If you have a chalice or candle handy nearby, please go ahead and light it now. As we spotlight Austin Peterson lighting a chalice. Again, we'll unmute you to say these words in unison. We light this chalice, chalice, chalice for the warmth of water. The light of truth, truth, for the energy of our life, and for the harmony of our peace. Thank you. Peace to our hearts, peace to our world. I have a story for you today about Buddha. And this is Buddha, and this is Buddha, and this is Buddha. And yet, none of these are Buddha. The story 
comes from to us from Thich Nhat Hanh and his heart of understanding. The story involves tea. And so I invite those of you who have a cup of tea or water or coffee or whatever, um, if you would like to drink tea as part of this story and part of your embodiment of this story, please join me. One day, the Buddha was sitting in meditation in his cave with his most trusted disciple, Ananda. And Ananda was outside collecting food for their next meal time. Ananda looked up from his chores when he saw coming towards the cave, the Buddha's nemesis, Mara. Now Mara was a demon king who sought to prevent the Buddha from reaching enlightenment beneath the Bodhi tree. Since then, he had continued to be a perpetual thorn in the Buddha's side, so to speak, cultivating greed, desire, and hatred in people. Ananda knew this and was immediately enraged by his appearance at the Buddha's cave. Ananda approached Mara, get out of here. The Buddha does not wish to have his cave invaded by demons. Mara replied, go and ask him for yourself. I simply wish to speak with your master. And so reluctantly and nervously, Ananda did as the demon king asked. He entered the Buddha's cave and said, world honored one, the demon king Mara dares to approach your cave and seek an audience with you. I've already instructed him to leave, but he insisted that I ask you myself. The Buddha's eyes opened from his meditation and he smiled widely. Mara is here. Really? It's been so long since we've spoken. Yes, yes. Have some tea ready and invite him in and we will talk. Dumbfounded, Ananda did as the Buddha asked, putting a pot onto the fire to boil and then going outside to tell Mara that he was welcome, welcome in Buddha's cave. As I knew it would be little Ananda said the demon king arrogantly brushing past the Buddha's humble disciple. And when Mara entered, entered the cave, the Buddha rose to his feet, nearly leaping to the air with excitement. Mara, my good friend, it has been so long since we have seen each other. Please sit and have some tea. And this is where you can pour yourself some tea if that's available to you. Please sit and have some tea. And tell me, why have you come to visit? Now, Ananda was very nervous and he listened to the whole conversation between his master and the demon. Mara sipped his tea slowly. And then he spoke. Buddha, things are not going well. I wish to be something else something other than Mara. But Mara, 
You're so good at being Mara. Remember when you sent those images of sense pleasures and warnings of how difficult it would be for me to reach enlightenment when I sat underneath the Bodhi tree? That was a fantastic job of being Mara. I really had to struggle to get where I am now and I truly owe you a debt of gratitude. And now Ananda was getting very fearful. He did not like the idea of Buddha having a debt of gratitude to Mara. This was very upsetting, but he continued to listen. Well, said Mara, I suppose that you are right. But being Mara, I always have to do this sneaking around in the shadows, talking in riddles and half-truths. It is such hard work, always trying to think of the best things to say and do, and then doing the opposite. I just, I think it would be easier to be something else. And the worst part, my disciples are now talking of non-duality, peace, social justice, non-violence. It is so frustrating to be Mara. I think it would be much better if you took my disciples. Maybe we could switch for a while. You could be Mara and I could try being Buddha. At this request, Ananda's heart really began to pound with anger. He knew that his master had just said he owed Mara a debt. And he also knew how profound the Buddha's compassion truly was. He had seen him give to others when he had almost nothing. He was terrified that he would now become the disciple of Mara and Buddha would become the demon king. No worse thought was imaginable. The Buddha thought, he sipped his tea. And then he spoke, Mara, do you think it is just frustrating being Mara? Being the Buddha is equally, no, doubly frustrating. I guarantee you think you have trouble with your disciples. Ha! Mine put words in my mouth and write them into sutras that I have never said. I teach them about non-attachment to material things. And what do they do? They build stupas. They erect shrines in my name. They even build enormous statues of me. They put gold on it just to pray to me, even though I have told them time and time again that I am not a god. And they sell trinkets in temples with my words blazed upon them. It is an absolute pain. But... I do not give it up being Buddha because that is what I am. I do not give up being Buddha because that is what I am. Mara sighed and vanished into the shadows. Ananda felt slightly relieved but continued to worry that one day Mara would get what he ultimately wanted. Let's take a sip of tea together. Hmm. And so I invite you to ask yourself, 
Is there something you could do that would make you more fully you? And now I invite everyone to listen to this next song and think about how it connects to the story we just heard. Whether you're different, same ignorant or intelligent Whether you tell the truth, lie or embellish it Whether you live in gratitude or for the hell of it It doesn't really matter, we're still one single fellowship Whether you've been lustful or living celibate Whether you're an optimist or only see the negative Whether you're dead, broke or rich from inheritance Doesn't really matter, we're made of the same sediment Whether you got a family or single parenting Or you're Asian, African, European or American Whether you pray to God or atheist is irrelevant Cause what you got inside is the same as all your
Hey, thanks for watching that with us. That was a song by rapper Nimesh or Nemo Patel. He's a native of Los Angeles and he now lives and works in an ashram founded by Mohandas Gandhi in India. So gosh, I'm struck by how poignant it was to see people in the video touching and hugging so freely without fear. This week, marks the one year anniversary of COVID forcing the closure of our campus and everything that happened after that. And in recognition of everything we've been through since then, the grief, the loneliness, the endurance, the resilience, the hope, I invite you to receive these words by the white UU minister, Kathleen McTeague as we enter into a time of meditation, reflection, and prayer. Here in the refuge of this Sabbath home, we turn our busy minds toward silence and our full hearts toward one another. We move together through the mysteries, the bright surprise of birth and the shadowed questions of death. In our slow walk between the two, we will be wounded and we will be showered with grace, amazing, unending. Even in our sorrows, we feel our lives cradled in holiness we cannot comprehend. And though we each walk within a vast loneliness, the promise we offer here is that we do not walk alone. This is a holy space in which we gather, the light of the earth brought in and held, touched then by our answering light, the flame on a chalice, the flicker of a candle, the lamps of our open faces brought near. In this space of silence and celebration, solemnity and music, we make a sanctuary and name our home. And now I invite you to enter into a shared silence and call on the holy in whatever words and images are most dear to you.
Amen and blessed be. Our Centering Hymn today was written by Kendall Gibbons. Kendall, a white UU minister who is one of our great feminist humanist ministers and also by British composer Peter Cutts. That was lovely. I bet we could wrap to that too. Each Sunday we make an offering from the bounty we are blessed to enjoy. 
we do so in a spirit of generosity and it re in, in recognition of our ongoing commitment to serve our world and share our values. If you're joining us for the first time, please feel free to give if you wish, and also know that your presence is gift enough. Today is a Share the Plate Sunday, and all of your gifts will go to the Williamsburg House of Mercy. Now, please welcome Helen Hansen to tell us more. Good morning. We have, uh, we have donated to Williamsburg House of Mercy in the past, and we will, I hope, donate to them in the future because they are a wonderful community connection. If you saw the, if you heard Austin's story and you, um, and you watched the video, Williamsburg House of Mercy is, the organ is an organization that helps connect and support people in our community to food, housing, services, and community with each other. And I know that we all care, we all wanna help, Please listen to Shannon Wolzanowski tell us all the good things that House of Mercy is doing and give generously. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Shannon Wolzanowski, Executive Director of Williamsburg House of Mercy. It's been a year since we first started dealing with COVID here in our community. We're proud that we're able to continue to serve with your help and your support. In the past year, we've helped 50,176 individuals receive more than a million pounds of food. 19,815 meals have been served from our community kitchen and donated by local restaurants. We've provided 824 nights of emergency shelter through our Bridge to Home program and have been able to move 67 households into stable housing. This equals hundreds of people. We've distributed 122,100 diapers and 42,792 feminine hygiene products. You make this possible. Thank you. Please visit our website at williamsburghouseofmercy.org. Thank you. Thank you all. If you'd like to give through our website, please visit wuu.org and click on Give Online to WUU. If you'd like to text please text the dollar amount of your gift to 757-500-0688. That's 757-500-0688 and follow the prompts from there. Or if you prefer to give by check, please email your check to WUU 3051 Ironbound Road, Williamsburg, Virginia, 23185, and we thank you so much. Our offertory music is the prelude in C minor from the Well-Tempered Cavalier written in 1722 by the German composer Johann Sebastian Bach.
Thank you again, Dave. Our readings today are by two contemporary monastics. The first comes from Thomas Merton's book, The Sign of Jonas. Merton was a white Cisternian monk who lived 27 years in the Abbey of Gesmethan, sorry about that, in Kentucky, and became famous for his writing and his social activism. This is what he says about one of the vows he made when he became a monk. The vow of stability binds a monk to one monastic community. By making a vow of stability, the monk renounces the vain hope of wandering off to find the perfect monastery. This implies a deep act of faith, the recognition that it does not matter much where we are or whom we live with. Stability becomes difficult for a person whose monastic ideal contains some note, some element of the extraordinary. All monasteries are more or less ordinary. Its ordinariness is one of its greatest blessings. The second reading is by Macrina Werdeker, a white Benedictine nun who died last year after a long career as a writer on everyday spirituality. The monk, a universal archetype of the search for the divine, represents everything in you that leans towards the sacred. All that you reach for the, all that reaches for the eternal, the monk represents everything within you that is drawn to seek with unwavering love. So I confess, I've always been kind of horrified at the idea of that monastic vow of stability promising literally to stay in one place for the rest of your life. I've moved seven times since I became an adult, each time for reasons that were very important to me. And I bet that a lot of you have me beat. Can you imagine what it would be like if someone told you you could never choose to move again, ever? And yet that practice of staying in one place is exactly what helped make the ancient monasteries among the most profoundly fertile, creative laboratories for spiritual growth that the world has ever seen. So in this month, when we're considering what it means to be a people of commitment, I invite you to imagine with me what that ancient practice of making a vow of stability might have to teach us about spiritual growth in our own communities. Well, first of all, what is it exactly? What does it mean to take a vow of stability? Well, about 1500 years ago, Benedict created his famous rule, the rule of St. Benedict with a capital R, which is basically a manual for how to run a monastic community. It's about 30 pages if you type it out in 12 points single spaced. The rule of Benedict covers stuff that you've probably heard about, like for example, getting up in the middle of the night for worship, which, oh my gosh, so glad we don't do here. By the way, getting up for daylight savings time is hard enough. But 
it also covers very practical stuff like rotating the kitchen duties and making sure there's a part in it where it makes sure that the folks whose turn it is to serve the food get fed before the regular mealtime. This is literally in the rule so that they don't have to be hungry while they're serving everyone else. Don't you love that? It's just so smart. It's so kind. And of course, there's a lot about the values that should guide the community and how people should behave so that the community can stay safe and healthy, a lot like the congregational covenants that we have here at WU, actually. And the rule also calls on each prospective monk to make certain vows, including this vow of stability, which is a promise that once you've had time to check out the community, get used to its values, its, its rhythms and ways of being, once you've had time to discover if the community is what you think you're looking for, you promise to stay like forever. Now, it's not like a monk who made such a vow would be a prisoner. Nobody would lock you in. You're still free to leave if you decide, you know what, this monastic life is not for me after all. But what you don't get to do is say, hey, I heard there's this other monastery a few miles away that has a better choir or more manuscripts in the library or whatever. And I'd like to go try it over there for a while to see if I like that one better. No. Once you make a commitment to a particular community, if you want to be a monk in good standing, you stay for better or for worse, pretty much. You stay where you are. So why did Benedict think that was so important? I wanted to share the quote from Thomas Merton with you because I think he's right on. The idea of a vow of stability, the, the why behind it, is all about letting go of that oh-so-human dream that somewhere there is a perfect place, a perfect community, a perfect set of relationships that will always be exactly what we want it to be. If you remember the piece we heard last Sunday on Brave Space by Mickey Scott Bay Jones, it's kind of like that. The vow of stability is important because pretty much everywhere we go, things may seem all glowy and perfect at first, but soon enough, we discover all the not so perfect things. We discover that even in a wonderful new community, we are thrown into relationship with people whose personalities are challenging to us, people who don't always meet our every need people we don't like, people we find annoying or boring or whatever. And that, in fact, is the good news. Because exactly those tensions will bring up all sorts of our own stuff, all the ways that we have yet to grow. The challenges in imperfect human communities and relationships are exactly what we need to help us transform and grow and deepen if we can just stay with it and stick around. Now, let me be clear that I am not advocating that anybody stay in relationships or communities that are abusive. 
I am not saying that at all. We have the right to protect ourselves from people who are trying to hurt us. So please, please, if this is your situation, this sermon is not about that. Please take care of yourself. And nor am I trying to say that every relationship should last forever. Sometimes we know that things just don't work out, especially in our most intimate relationships. And sometimes saying goodbye is not a failure. It's just what we need to grow. But to come back to the monastic vow of stability, what's interesting here is that it's not like a marriage vow, actually. It's not about an intimate connection with one other person. It's about staying in a whole community for better or for worse with a lot of other people, many of whom you might never know very well, knowing that in community, there's pretty much always going to be some level of daily irritations, annoyances, things that just bug us about other people, kind of like a bit of grit getting into an oyster shell. And you know what happens there. I have a friend whom I'll call Daryl. Daryl had a coworker who used to drive him nuts. The first few years they worked together, he really did not like this other guy. Let's call, let's call the other guy Bill. Bill was gossipy. He was prone to leaping to other con to conclusions about other people's motivations. He was very quick to kind of fly off the, the, the handle. He had a temper. And Daryl pretty much tried to avoid him as much as possible. But then one day, Daryl lost a family member. It was a really difficult time for him. And to Daryl's great surprise, of all the people in the office, more than anyone else, Bill was the one who really came through. He turned out to be quite a good listener. He would stop by regularly just to check in. And there was a gentleness in his demeanor and an ability to just be with Daryl's grief that touched Daryl to the core. And Daryl recalls, he began to see clearly how harshly he had judged Bill and written him off as a person with nothing much to offer. Now, though, he could see the compassion and the kindness that lay right below the surface. He could, in fact, begin to love Bill in a way he never would have expected would have been possible. In this case, Bill made it pretty easy for Daryl to start softening toward him, to let go of his judgments and connect with Bill's goodness. Imagining myself in Daryl's shoes, I wonder if having that experience with Bill would make it easier to let go of all sorts of judgments about other people and just be more ready to love. I think that would help. I wonder if you've ever experienced anything like this. Thinking about Daryl's story, in a way, I think maybe that's the whole point of congregations too, to bring a group of people together closely enough and long enough for everyone to get frustrated with one another and work through it and grow. My theory is, 
that we'd better find some place to stay and work things out because if we don't, we are going to be running from ourselves our whole life long. We will be running from our angers and judgments, our fears and stumbling blocks. We are going to be running from everything that keeps us stuck and small and tied up in knots. And what is the point of that? Aren't we here to grow and move past everything that limits our hearts and spirits? And if that's what we're here for, if our goal is transformation, we'd better find some people to stay put with because they will be the catalyst we need and we will be that for them too. So may we all be blessed with imperfect communities that last. And may we be blessed with imperfect companions and may we be the imperfect companions for others that we might help lead each other toward love and grace. May it be so, blessed be, and amen. Our closing hymn today comes from a contemporary monastic tradition, the Taizé community in France. It's a song about love and community, and I hope you will join in wherever you are. Ubi caritas et amor, ubi caritas Deus ibi est. Ubi caritas et amor. Ubi caritas Deus ibi est. Thank you, Dave. Now let us say the words to extinguish the chalice. And we invite you to blow out your candle at the same time. We'll paste the words in the Zoom chat, and again, we'll attempt them in unison. We extinguish this flame, but not the light not of the light of community, the warmth of community, or our commitment until we are together again. And I invite you to extend your hands, a sign of all that binds us together. As we go, I offer an old blessing from our hymnal by the UU minister, Duke Gray. The blessing of truth be upon us. The power of love direct us and sustain us. And may the peace of this community preserve our going out and our coming in from this time forth until we meet again. Amen and blessed be.